And we really came together to think about how can we engage parents? And one of the key things that came to the forefront was this idea of relationship. And I think that we took for granted, again, you know, we're from the community. I went to school with quite a few of our parents, but our relationship in the space of the building mm-hmm. does come sometimes take on that role of like, for some, you know, it feels like we're the authority on youth development as the youth development center people. And you're the parent and, you know, you get services from us and it's kind of transactional. It can feel that way. And so we wanted to really, in the space of, you know, we've been doing surveys and and that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, you can get some insights there, but it's not partnership. Welcome to the Health Pilots podcast presented by the Center for Care Innovations. This podcast is about strengthening the health and well-being of historically underinvested communities. Every episode offers new ideas and practical advice that you can apply today. This episode is adapted from a recent webinar. Enjoy. I'm Jenny Wright. I'm a senior program manager here at CCI. We have Selena Wilson and Landon Hill here from East Oakland Youth Development Center, also known as EOIDC. The reason we brought them here today is because uh, the EOIDC team has participated in CCI's Catalyst program in the past, where we train folks to use design thinking skills. And in addition, they'll be sharing how they're navigating power dynamics and engaging youth and parents as the experts of their own experience and those that we need really need to tap in the work that we do in our organizations. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and ask Lena and Landon to both introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about East Oakland Youth Development Center, and a little bit about how youth and parent engagement has become such a high priority for you. Thank you. All right. So um, I'm Selena Wilson, and I am the Vice President of Organizational Effectiveness at EOIDC. But the role at EOIDC that I'm most proud of is as an alumni of the organization. I actually started at EOIDC when I was four years old in the West African dance class. And just kind of for a little bit of context of how EOIC works and why I've been able to be a part of EOIC for so long, what we do is we provide a continuum of services for young people all the way from age five or the four-year-olds who sneak in like me <laughs> to age 24 so that we can really help follow along in their educational journey into their career path. And we do that through a series of free after-school and summer programs that are primarily focused on education, careers, arts and wellness. And over the years, we put an increasing emphasis on being healing-centered and trauma-informed, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. But in terms of how we deliver those services, we also have something we call a cascading mentorship framework, where we train high school and college-age students to work with their younger counterparts. So I actually started at EOYDC as a youth leader when I was 13 years old. So that was kind of my first job and my first engagement with youth work as a youth. And, you know, that will become more relevant as we we speak today, but it's really been a huge part of my life for the past three decades and going. Thank you. Yeah. So again, I'm Landon Hill. I'm the Senior Manager of Program Effectiveness at EOYDC. Um, And similar to Selena, I am also an alumni, although I started a little bit later. I was 15 when I I started, um, but I started as a youth leader as part of that cascading mentorship model that she described. And so... That allowed for me to get a number of different leadership roles uh, within the organization. Um, and I've been back now, I went away to school, but been back now for about four and a half years in a professional capacity. And so very similar to Selena, it really was kind of the, the launching point 
even though I didn't realize it at the time, kind of launched a point for my career and wanting to work with students and going to education and that type of thing. And so I think we're both very happy to be able to give back in the way that we do to the center of the gave so much to us. Awesome. Awesome. Great to hear that. And just to set context, because I know we'll talk about this in detail. If there's anything you want to share about how you've realized that engaging youth and parents as part of your community is really has arisen to the top, um, if you have to say a bite-sized amount of that before we get in. Yeah. So I think you you mentioned an adage that we'll often say a lot that I think our president and CEO, Regina Jackson, says a lot as well, which is that our young people are the experts in their own experience, as are our parents. And I think that EYDC has always done a really good job of putting youth in meaningful leadership roles. That said, I think there are elements of more kind of strategic program design where maybe we hadn't really thought about kind of getting their input in the design process. We're always really, you know, into getting feedback on the back end or having them design certain activities or elements. But I think what Catalyst really did, and I know we'll talk about this in more detail, was help us really give them tools to be a part of the design process from the problem identification stage on out. Whereas before, you know, we didn't necessarily have the tools to engage them in the way that we're now able to engage them. I, I guess what I would say is that the heart and intent was always there yeah. to engage our young people, but we didn't always have the tools. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I would just add to that. I think, you know, a lot of times, especially in like the education world, the making kind of students and or whoever your, your service population is kind of the center of their own experiences always stated. But the practice of that is always a lot more difficult, right? And so yeah. I remember when I was a youth leader, I had this one young boy who like kind of adopted me as his uncle, right? And like that to me, at the time I didn't realize it, and looking back on it, even in that moment, he was reaching out and seeking something that maybe like I didn't necessarily know was maybe a void or something like that for him. But we're not always able to kind of step outside of that moment and then like really dig into what is it that you are needing or asking for or requesting like when we're seeing or hearing this type of feedback, right? And to Selena's point, I think both time, resources, and then just kind of stepping outside of the moment because we're always so kind of in the here and now that it takes a a moment to step back and then actually invite people to be able to share a little bit more to understand what it is that they actually need and not just kind of handle the immediate um, situation. And so I think being able to have this time now has really been, been helpful for us. Great, awesome. So with that, it's a great segue to talk a bit about the project topic you came into the Catalyst experience with and kind of how that evolved over time. And I think you kind of alluded to it, Selena, sharing that you gained so many more tools to better do this. So if you can speak a bit about which tools you use and how it evolved your work, that would be great. Yeah. So I think this really illustrates what I'm talking about (laughs) well in that, you know, previously what we would do is kind of decide like, okay, this is what we think the problem is or the solution is, we'll take this to our young people and get feedback on it. And originally what we pitched was that we feel we need to do a better job of training our young people who are youth leaders, who are trained to work with our even younger students in our trauma-informed care approaches. And so as the staff kind of looking in, we thought that the problem was training, therefore the solution is better training. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we would initially go to youth leaders with this kind of posit, they would say, okay, here's how you can improve the training because that's how we were framing it. We were saying, we want to do better training. How can we do better training? But when we took the tools that Catalyst gave us, 
and said, instead, hey, we want to do training. And instead said, walk us through what your experience is like day to day. Right. And so doing the journey maps and then seeing like these kind of pain points throughout their day from their perspective that we missed. Mm-hmm. And then asking them about their thoughts on these different kind of points in their experience from onboarding to training to their day-to-day, so forth and so on. What we realized is that actually training was not the problem at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were like, we love training. Training is great. It's just that in the moment, it's really hard to execute these things that we learn because of X, Y, Z. And then we just had this huge aha and said, oh man, so okay, scrap what we originally thought. What is it that you think you really need? And what it really came down to for them is we need more very hands-on support because there's just a lot going on. And we, you know, we're coming from school, we're already feeling a little stressed ourselves, and we want to be able to bring our best selves for the kids. And we feel like we need a little bit more support to do that. And for them, they also valued kind of having that peer level support. And so, and I don't want to go on too much into the details, but you know, what we, we then found through some of the coaching that we got through Catalyst was this idea of kind of borrowing concepts from other fields and other sectors. And since we happen to be working with a lot of medical professionals, we thought about the residency model for doctors and how young, you know, not young necessarily, but new surgeons will actually be residents and watch other surgeons do surgery before they do it. And then it kind of flips. Mm-hmm. So we decided to borrow from that and create a new youth advisor role based on the experiences that our young people were sharing with us. But again, had we not gone through this more journey uh, mapping experience and really talking more about stuff that can be hard for young people to pinpoint, because if you ask them, what's the root problem, what's the solution, they don't necessarily know, but they know their experience. And then once you get them in those conversations and you start training them in the tools, they were able to help us prototype the solutions and test them and give us feedback. Yeah, no, I, I would I would completely agree. You know, one of the things too is that because a lot of the even when we were providing training, a lot of the tools and skills that we were trying to get you know to acquire were very new for them. Mm-hmm. And so not necessarily having somebody either it was like an adult who was modeling these things. And so sometimes even yeah. just the age gap is like, well, yeah, you can do that, but like I might not necessarily be able to do it, right? And so to then have somebody closer in age who is a little bit more experienced but still considered a peer was a little bit more engaging and, and inviting for them to say, oh, okay, like maybe now I can do it too and be able to have an example that they were maybe a little bit more, whether it be willing or just it was easier to kind of comprehend ways in which to actually do some of the things that we were already providing in training and they understood it intellectually, but maybe not always how to do it. Um, and so being able to go through the process of kind of understanding what it is that they were experiencing and then saying, all right, here's now maybe a better solution that both solved the issues that we saw, but then also address the real issue that they were experiencing. All we didn't under- have that understanding. Sure. And I just love that both of you really illustrated well the importance of taking the time to step back and understand the problem and make sure you're designing solutions to address the right problem. And in, in addition, you know, something I heard from both of you is really being incredibly intentional about understanding not just their perspective on what the problem is, the issue is, but just their experience overall. And that really just gives you so much richness in figuring out like, what is your role here in, in better serving your community members? I'm going to pivot us just a little bit because I know, um, you know we kind of talked about this uh, conversation as 
really an opportunity to hear, especially around how you all are shifting power dynamics. I think we're we're going in that direction. And so I'm curious if you can speak to, you know, what has been most important for you to do both as individually, as individuals and as an organization to really see a shift of power from just those who are working in a professional setting to the community residents, the youth, the parents, and, and how you really engage folks in their work. Yeah, you know, and for me, I think that it was, I have had to kind of really contend with the different ways that power and privilege operate. And, you know, by definition, blind spots are areas that you just can't see. And I think something that I could not see for quite a while is that while I'm an alumni of the organization, while I grew up in that neighborhood, while I went to the local high school and all these things, while I am a Black woman and, and I can experience, relate to a lot of the experiences, I, at this point in my life, have a very different type of positional power, a very different type of, you know, all of those things. So, and there's also generational differences that I honestly have taken for granted because it's like, well, I grew up here, you're here, same difference. <laughs> and it's like, no, here 20 years later is meaningfully different. And there's a lot of meaningful similarities as well. But what I had to recognize is that, oh, I have to step back because my presence in the room in some ways may uh, pressure our young people to not really say everything that's on their mind. So what we decided to do was ask the young people, like, of all of our staff, who do you feel the most comfortable with in terms of, like, you know, you would be comfortable telling them anything, wouldn't be worried about them judging how good of a job you're doing or whatever. And they identify someone, not surprisingly, who was nowhere in their kind of supervisorial chain, right? Mm-hmm. So that person then trained a couple young people to lead the process with their peers. So in terms of like doing the journey mapping exercises, doing the prototyping, a lot of that was led by their peers. So we trained them to do it and so that they could feel absolutely free. Because even if we tell them, hey, we want you to share everything, we want you to feel really comfortable, I think there's always going to be a little inhibition, even if it's subconscious. Mm-hmm. And so by removing ourselves from the facilitation process, I think we were able to balance out some of those power dynamics. The other important thing is making sure that we report back what we heard to them and said, hey, this is what we heard. This is what we took away from it. Does this sound right? And there would be times where they would correct us and be like, no, that's not what we meant. Or yes, that sounds about right. So making sure that it, like in a documented way, like we're taking this seriously, this is what we're hearing. And we've done similar things with the parents. And I think, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But yeah, do you have anything to add to that later? Yeah, I think, you know, and we've mentioned a few times now where we work and serve primarily young people, right? But oftentimes we work with our, our parents and we're being a lot more intentional about that. I think even in those two contexts, things are a little bit different. But I think one of the things in terms of kind of looking at the power dynamics there is that especially when you work with young people, a lot of times we're put in these positions to help them to either to learn certain things. And so automatically there is this sense that like, I know more quote unquote, mm-hmm. than you do, right? Whether, and, yeah. and to some extent that's true in terms of just like experience, right? And lessons that can be provided, et cetera, et cetera. But it then becomes hard to step out to 
recognize that that's not a blanket statement, right? Like there are certain things that maybe I have experienced or certain things that I have been become aware of that I'm in this role to make sure it happens. But in the, you are still going to know much more about your own individual experience and the experiences of your peers than I will, right? And so I can, there are certain things that I am going to require to facilitate, but when I'm asking you what is going to be best for you, I can't then put my own presumptions upon you, right? Even though I may have this knowledge or this understanding about whatever it is that we're talking about, right? And so I think really, again, kind of stepping outside and recognizing and understanding all that I am, one of my jobs is to make sure that I set you up for success and provide you with skills and information you may not know. That does not mean that you now are do not have a, a, an opportunity or do not have the ability to say, hey, but this is still what is best for me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think just kind of, just taking that mindset of like understanding that yes, this is a young person, but a young person who's still fully aware of what it is that they need. And like really our challenge has been making sure that we are able to kind of get that out of them as opposed to just kind of observing and making decisions for them. Although I think sometimes that's kind of how we we frame our work oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just kind of breaking out of that moment is one of the toughest things to do because you kind of do it subconsciously, right? right. Again, even though you might know intellectually you're, you don't want to do that or not supposed to do it or whatever, the yeah. habit and kind of the routine is still falls into that. So you have sure. to be really intentional about not so much doing that. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I love it. It's really examples of you intentionally letting go of the things that you typically would do and how you typically would do things. I love the way you both shared it and... I'm curious now if you can um, share, you know, for especially for folks who are thinking about how they might shift power dynamics and the work that they do, you know, if you could speak to what has been most rewarding for you in really letting go of that power, as well as what has been most challenging or what is most challenging. And then we'll segue into talking a bit more about some of your work parents. Yeah. So I think that that's a great question because obviously there are trade-offs, right? So I think that one of the most rewarding things is that their solutions are better. They know what they need much more than I do. So I kind of think their insights are much better than my insights. So in that way, it is humbling. And I think also the challenge is translating a little bit because to be clear, like they weren't, our young people didn't say, we need like a residency <laughs> model. They, they were, we had to kind of like figure out how to operationalize some of what they were saying in a way that honored with the intent, I think, behind what it is that they were saying and was also something that we could actually feasibly do, right? So in that, I'm sure like there are some things lost in fidelity. So I think part of the challenge is sometimes you do feel disappointed when despite your best efforts, you know, it's an iterative process. And there have definitely been cycles of the iteration where it did not, you know, realize the full potential of what we saw with it. And so kind of sticking through, being consistent, understanding that sometimes the iterations will take like two steps back and, you, you know, you kind of have to keep plugging along. Mm-hmm. And that also as more folks come on board, you know, in our case, more young people, that's going to influence the way that things move forward. So it, it's, you're never done, right? You're never done. And that is I think, the ultimate challenge. And recognizing again with the with the power dynamic that you have to constantly be listening, you have to constantly be making sure that there is space for people to share these things. Yeah, I think on a similar note, right? When you are constantly listening, 
one of the challenges is understanding what is sometimes not working for an individual versus mm-hmm. the group, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so, you know, I, and I find myself <laughs> like this a lot. We've done a lot of work in our staff around like kind of our leadership models and stuff like that, or, or kind of like our leadership personalities. So I tend to be like a vision, right? So somebody will come to me with an issue and I'm like, oh, snap, like, we can do this over here, this over here. But really that may not be everybody's problem. And so then when you're trying to create something that is really best for a team, really is what we're doing, understanding that you're constantly listening for what are things that are constant amongst the team, but then also what are maybe some individual issues that could be solved, but maybe you can't, you're not going to be able to solve everybody's immediate issue or problem, right? And so I think being able to determine and, and really be clear on what are things that need to be acted upon versus those things that unfortunately is like, it's an issue and maybe we can find ways to work around it, but it's not going to be something that you have to act on, that you're going to be able to act on to solve the, the team issue or it may not be a team, a team issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is one of the challenges in addition to also just understanding when things aren't working the way in which you envision them is it that it's just going to take more time? Is it that it's actually the idea is is working, but the implementation is not, right? Like, again, really understanding and giving yourself time to really understand those things because you don't want to keep going with something that's just not working, but mm-hmm. you don't know if it's just not working or if it just hasn't worked yet, mm-hmm. right? And so it's constantly going through that and like kind of being in your head about it is probably one of the most difficult things that, that comes out of that. But Seeing, I think for me, one of the things that's most rewarding is just knowing that we are being intentional about hearing from our folks and knowing that the pivots that we make are at least in response to and ultimately do some good most of the time to at least address the problem. Then we can continue to make tweaks, but knowing that we've at least kind of moved further away from what the original issue was is kind of the most important thing. That's great. That's great. What I'm hearing from both of you is the importance of listening. (laughs) It's coming out loud and clear. And also that nuance of it's not just listening at one point of a project or a process and then closing your ears and moving forward. It's like, it's iterative, it's continuous, and you have to keep listening to your end users, your clients, your community members um, to really ensure that what you're doing is right on track. Great, great examples. So now I want to just pivot slightly. And um, you heard a bit about your Catalyst project and experience with youth. I'd love if you can share a bit about how you all continue to use design thinking in your work, particularly with um, engaging youth and parents. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we have the very, very fortunate opportunity to work with CCI and some other really brilliant design thinkers, um, including Ida Davis from Decolonized Design and Rosa. Doe. Okay. (laughs) Good. Rosa Doe. I didn't want to mispronounce (laughs) wonderful Rosa's last name. And we really came together to think about how can we engage parents? And one of the key things that came to the forefront was this idea of relationship. And I think that we took for granted, again, you know, we're from the community. I went to school with quite a few of our parents, but our relationship in the space of the building Mm -hmm. does come sometimes take on that role of like, for some, you know, it feels like we're the authority on youth development as the youth development center people. And you're the parent and, you know, you get services from us and it's kind of transactional. It can feel that way. And so we wanted to really, in the space of, you know, we've been doing surveys and and that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, you can get some insights there, but it's not partnership in that sense. And certainly while we had fosters in 
individual relationships with parents, we really thought, you know, how can we really, again, go to our parents as experts in their children, as experts in the community to really tell us what it is that they would like to see from us, to really inform us on what does a healing-centered youth development center look like to you? Because staff, we have our point of view and have been doing this internal work on trauma-informed care and healing center design, but recognize like, wait a minute, our parents <laughs> need to come to the table. And if it's just a meeting that we're inviting you to, right? Again, it feels very transactional. So this idea of like, let's have a dinner for parents, which CCI you know, helped us design. And we really designed the experience around it of how can we build relationship with parents? How can we treat them with the same regard that we would like an expert that a funder sends us or someone else, right? Because they're, they have valuable insights. And so we started with that first and really started with visioning and then kind of moved to the more tactical pieces of feedback and that sort of thing. And so for me, it was a very, very transformational way of thinking about how do we not just get parent feedback, but really, again, partner with them in designing the solution and understanding their perspectives. It was so invaluable. Like, I'm kind of at a loss for words on like how much my mind has kind of shifted in rethinking how we do not just, again, parent engagement, but parent partnership and treating them as experts. Yeah. And I, and I think also part of it is recognizing that in our attempt to serve our young people, right? And as Linda mentioned, we serve primarily in this 524. A lot of our young students aren't voluntarily coming to us, right? Like that's just the reality. But who's bringing them is the parents, right? And so in order for us to do our best job, there is some need that parents feel like we can meet. And so we can do our absolute best of finding out from young people what it is that they want or that they need in terms of their experience at the center. But also... One of the things that I don't think that we were doing the best job at is really coming to understand what is it that the parents were seeking in dropping their students off here, right? Because we offer a number of different services, but for all we know, there is one or two things in particular that they were really looking for and the rest, maybe they cared about it, maybe they didn't, right? And so in our attempt to not just partner because it's another stakeholder, but understand that we actually need them in order to do the best job that we can to serve the young people that we say is our target demographic, right? And so being able to then, and I keep going back to this, but I think it's really important, at least it's the way that kind of makes sense for me is to really step back, take a step back and then say, all right, we understand that you are not just somebody who drops off (laughs) and and picks up like the person that we serve, but like we need your insight in order to know how to best serve our young people. It was one of the things that has been really good about this process and then being able to get better, much more rich insight that we have been able to get from our traditional models and just doing surveys and collecting them. You know, we know a lot of our our parents, but not to the same level that even just in these last couple of months, we've been able to get a lot more information on top of those same tools we were already using. And so just to kind of see how things have have changed in a small amount of time has been really, really eye-opening. And one thing I would like Mm -hmm. to say about Power Dynamics, um, you know, I did spend some time working with parents in a very affluent community here in the Bay Area. And I think the ways in which affluent parents have access to, or feel they have, not just feel, but have actual access to decision-making processes mm-hmm. is very different than what a lot of our parents experience. Some of the things that we heard of a lot from our parents in these sessions are the kind of things that they go through with 
their children's school, not feeling heard, mm-hmm. sometimes feeling outright disrespected, even assaulted, that kind of things. And so really honoring that they should absolutely be involved in the decision-making at all levels and that there should be no sense of apology-making on their part because they're asking or demanding something that should be happening, right? Mm. And I think when I look at, again, the way that affluent parents are able to make demands and have those demands respected and dignified in a way that a lot of our parents are not respected and dignified, Mm. I think the experience of just being told we need to hear from you is important. And I'm hoping we'll really path the course for more of that. And, you know, we have, I'm moving away from using the word empowered because it centers me as the person who's like giving you power Mm -hmm. when you have the power. Right. And it's like, I have the responsibility to create the space. And so one of the things that I'm feeling more, you know, commitment to is how can we really work with partners to create more of these spaces where we as a field really start to value the input of our parents who may or may not have the same formal education or whatever, but have untold amount of expertise mm-hmm. in the nuance of their experience. And again, even for us folks who went to the same school, live in the same community, if you are not living in that direct community right now, there are things going on right now that are beyond your lived experience that you just cannot really fully know just from reading about it, right? So again, like giving space, being humble, recognizing power that's there, I think is just really, really important. And I know that a lot of folks probably on the line are working with communities who are facing similar things where they are told that, you know, their voice maybe doesn't matter in ways that are direct or indirect, where they're made to feel like they are the passive recipients of someone else's like good deeds or expertise or whatever. And, you know, I'm all about interdependence. Like we certainly have some expertise and things to offer, but we are not like the experts, right? We have a set of expertise. They have a set of expertise. And that is the case for co-design in general, right? Like all of your clients have expertise that can be tapped. And I think the tools allow for there to be kind of that articulation of it. And you have the responsibility to create space where that power can really come forth. And I think it has to, what I've learned through this is it has to start with relationship. Mm. It can't just start with information, right? I think that used to be my go-to of like, I'm going to give you this information and then you can respond to it. And it's like, yeah, but if I don't have a relationship with you, it's going to hinder the extent to which I can really authentically exchange with you. So it's taking that time to build relationship is critical to the quality of input that you're going to get. Yeah, I think um, I recognize this when we were having a call, uh, you know, all of us were, were on the call one time. And I think one of the things that has also been really important is for us as EOYDC to also put ourselves in the learning position, right? And not be solely the one who is no longer like kind of empowering, quote unquote, but also be the ones learning in this, right? And so part of the reason that we even partner with CCI is because we realize, hey, we are somewhat falling short in terms of making sure that we are partnering and like going about the business of actually engaging our parents the way and our students the way in which we would like 
too. And so as we have gone through this process, one of the things that I think has been really good is that as we are looking to lift up the voices of our parents, right? And to say, hey, we want to hear your input and we want to make sure that you feel validated and here are some things that we can provide to you in order for you to kind of showcase your own leadership, strengths, skills, et cetera. We have also kind of been needed to take a peg down, right? And, and sit back and say, hey, CCI, please help us in areas where we are not actually maximizing, right? And so as we're learning, right, then we're able to also step back and allow for parents to, to learn and to grow and to step up. And so we're not solely the kind of all-knowing youth development center who's saying, hey, parents, come along, we're going to give you this. But we are also like, no, we're learning alongside while you're learning and we're all kind of doing this collaboratively. And so that, I think, has been one good thing about this process and about us really kind of reworking and understanding how to make sure that our parents are feeling more comfortable with not just saying, oh, yeah, my child goes to EOYDC, but like, no, I am working with EOYDC to make it better, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's one of the things that also recognizing that when people have not, don't always feel that sense of, I guess, that comfort level of being able to, to be in a position where they can make decisions, where they can you know, kind of speak their mind, is that sometimes that takes a while, right? And so when we sat down, we had dinner with parents, we were asking them, hey, what are your thoughts? And, you know, what is it that you need? And what can EOYDC provide or help with or whatever, it kept coming back to like what EOIC does well. And we're like, cool, thank you. But like, that's not what we're asking for. You know what I mean? Like, but again, if that's yeah. not what you're, you're not used to actually yeah. saying, like yeah. opening up for being open criticism, being open to saying, hey, what are the ways that you get better? What are the things that we're not really acknowledging that you wish that we would, yeah. right? It takes a minute to reorient your mind and say, oh, that's what this is about, right? And so trying to move to that space to where parents feel like, you know, we're really okay with you saying, this is what we need. Y'all aren't doing this for us yet. And it's not about, you know, us looking to, to criticize or anything, but it's about us making sure that we're actually doing what it is that you brought your child here for, for us to do in the first place. That's great. And I think you're speaking really well to like one of the key tenets of design thinking is being collaborative. And many of us, you know, intend to be collaborative and we think we know what it looks like, but, you know, you're, you're illustrating that it, it really takes putting on your own learner hat from all perspectives because similarly CCI is learning as we're working with you all. And it's just, you know, one thing I just really appreciate about the Catalyst program and from my experience in it last year was actually like the tools and methods and ways in which you can intentionally be collaborative. So it's not just that you're doing, that you want to be collaborative, but you're actually doing it and this is what it looks like to do it. 